Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's this week's podcast. What's up, New Hope? How we doing? Good to see you. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. I want to give a warm shout out and welcome basically to all the campuses. Uh, I was not here last week, so I have missed you. I want to give a welcome to the Durham campus and the Coffee House campus meeting upstairs. NCCIW, Daughters of the King at the North Carolina Correctional Institute. Internet campus, Kenya campus, which we're getting ready to say two campuses there. North Raleigh, Garner, Sanford, Hillsboro, and Columbia campus. Now let's welcome them all at all the campuses. Clap and welcome. So glad you are here. Hey, you should have received one of these as you made your way into a worship center today. Um, This is the monthly newsletter. It just walks you through all kinds of information, what is happening here at the church. I would point out two very important things. The first is when you open it, you see Experience Found, a New Hope Church original film. Don't miss Thanksgiving Sunday. I don't care how much turkey you ate and how holy hangover you are from Thanksgiving. Come out for this service. We are bringing together a story that encapsulates and captures the entire nine-month journey that we have been on through this book called The Story, God's Word, a chronological telling of that book. Also, I want to just point out for you, some of you are busy people, most of you are busy people, the Christmas times are in there for all the campuses. So all of us go on, uh, look on here, fill out your calendars, your phones, whatever you need to do, and mark those Christmas celebrations. We have a lot of Christmas celebrations. And you might think it sounds early to talk about Christmas. It is, it does, but it'll be here before we know it. Last thing I want to say, and then we're going to jump right in today. Um, Who knows what October was? It was Pastor Appreciation Month. Y'all do that every year. You're so funny, and I correct you every year. I want you to uh, extrapolate me from the rest of this conversation. I'm not talking about me. I meant to do this a couple times in October and I forgot. And it's okay because Thanksgiving is coming up. So I would like to encourage you, if there is a pastor, and I I widen it every year, even if it's not a pastor, even if it's just a staff person at church. If there's a pastor or staff person, again, not me included, um, that has blessed you or you appreciate the way they serve and love and lead on you or your children or your students, would you bless them in some kind of way? Maybe an email, maybe a card, Maybe, maybe you offer to babysit their children so they can go out on a date night. So long as you're not on FBI's most wanted list, that'll be acceptable. Um, give them a gift card. Again, excluding me, I just, I just think we have some of the best pastors and staff in all the world at this church. Yeah, yeah. And I want you to help me love on them. So uh, most of you know I was in Texas last week. I was in South Texas, San Antonio, and I was preaching at a church. Any Texas people up in the house at any of the campuses? 
I knew there'd be some Texas people in the house. Um, and I heard a story while I was in Texas. I was preaching at Oak Hills uh, Bible Church. And there's a story that I heard. There was a surprise guest in a church, supposedly in South Texas, in and around San Antonio. And it was none other than the devil himself. He appeared in a puff of smoke at the very front of the sanctuary. And everybody, as you might imagine, started screaming ah! and running for the door. Everyone except one elderly gentleman who sat very calmly in his seat with his hands folded across his lap. Seemingly oblivious to the fact that the devil himself was in the house of God. Now this confused Satan a bit, so he walked up to the man, stuck out his chest and said, Don't you know who I am? The old man said, Yep, sure do. Aren't you afraid of me? Old man said, nope, sure ain't. <laughs> this perturbed Satan to no end. And so he angrily asked, why aren't you afraid of me? That little old man in overall said, I've been married to your sister for 48 years. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. I suppose we all tend to vilify certain people, do we not? And during these days, there's lots of vilifying going on about one side or the other. By the way, at the end of the service today, at the end of my message today, we're going to pray for our country. And we're going to pray for the upcoming presidential election. And we're going to ask God to move. And I would just say this, I just feel a strong sense in my spirit right now to say this. Some of you need to chill out. I know these are stressful days. But God's got this. And I'm not saying like some pastors will do, God's got this, God's candidate's going to get in. I'm saying God's got this. Nothing's going to surprise God. And as I've said before recently, the kingdom of heaven is not coming in on Air Force One. God's got this because God's hope and your hope and my hope is not in politics or in a political party. Our hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So God's, but we have, this, we have this way of vilifying people if they don't agree with us. And if there ever was a villain... In the early stages of Christianity, it was a man by the name of Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul. Now, if you're a guest, again, we've been making our way through a chronological telling of the Bible called the story. We've been at it since Easter. We're finishing up Thanksgiving weekend. If you are a guest, I know you're a little late to the game, but if you go to the Next Steps room at any of our campuses, we will give you a free copy of this book just to bless you. It's an incredible book. And this past week, we've been looking at chapter 29. I hope you've read it. Take out your teaching notes. Open up your binders. If you're still bringing those, I hope you are. Maybe you leave them at home and you put your notes in there. Click them in there. And let's go talk about Saul, who was a villain of the first church early on. And then you're going to see what happened. If you read the storybook this week, you know that in Acts chapter 7, Saul is approving of the stoning and the killing of a significant first century Christian by the name of Stephen. 
On that day, great persecution broke out against the followers of Christ in and around Jerusalem, and Saul was leading the way the entire time. In fact, if you open up your Bibles, and you can find this in the storybook or your, your old school Bible, if you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, you see this about Saul out loud, ready, go. Breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This was Saul. He was breathing out murderous threats. He was killing Christians. He was persecuting the first century church. And then, oh my, God decided to wreck his life in a good way. Wrecked him with the grace of God. If you know the story, by the way, this is such an important story in the Bible that it's told not once, not twice, but three times in the book of Acts. Three different tellings of Saul's conversion is found in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, what you see is that Saul was on his way to the Damascus road. He was literally blinded, if you will, or might I say blindsided. He was blindsided by none other than Jesus. You might wonder what happened to convert Saul. Here's what happened, Jesus, which is what I was talking about earlier. Listen, our only hope is in Jesus. And, and, and Saul, Saul is going about persecuting Christians, killing Christians, persecuting the church, and Jesus happened to him. I'm reminded of the words by the Beatle, John Lennon. Maybe you remember this quote. Life is what happens to you when you're making other plans. Jesus is what happened to Saul when he was making other plans to kill Christians and persecute the church. And instead of riding into Damascus on a search and seize and kill mission, he arrives in Damascus blinded and led by the hand of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, the only problem in all of this is nobody would believe Saul. Everybody feared Saul. They knew how bad of a man he was. He was a bad man in the bad way. But there was one that the Lord prepared the way for. And his name was Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. And Ananias is there. And Ananias tries to resist at first. But Ananias basically hears from the Lord, meets Saul. And we come across this verse in Acts 9 15, you read the last one so well, all of our campuses, let's go together. Go, this man is my, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Go, this man is my what? Did you know that you are a chosen instrument of God? No, I'm not talking about the person beside you. Well, I'm talking about them too, but you, you in the balcony, all of you in the balcony, all of you at any of our campus locations or watching this online in a bedroom by yourself, you are a chosen instrument of God. And the question becomes, will you let God anoint you and use you? Will you play your instrument, if you will, to the glory and the honor of God? God came along, Saul, wrecked his life with the grace of God and said, you are a chosen instrument. And I stopped by today to let every single one of you know, me included, that you 
are a chosen instrument of God. And he wants to use your life to bring other people into a relationship with Christ. He wants to use your life in the midst of a very dark and scary political season. He wants to use you to shine the light of Christ. Everybody is very volatile these days. This week, how might God use you as a chosen instrument just to be a peaceful, gracious, loving light in the midst of all the chaos? So Saul would come into this encounter, and Ananias would meet him, and Saul's faith journey would begin, and it was epic. I know that word is probably used too much these days, but it was truly epic. Epic. He started sharing his message in places like Corinth and Philippi and Ephesus and Galatia and all over. Here's what I'm convinced. Saul turned Paul would have loved the multi-site. Campuses, Saul would have loved the multi-site model. Think about it. Saul had to jump in ships and sail through storms. He had to travel all over the first century Palestinian world. He had to write letters and send it to these churches. He was nonstop in motion trying to lead these churches that he started. Don't you know Saul would have loved to throw in a video? Hello. You see what I'm saying? He didn't shot that video, man. I said, just show that at all the churches. Multi-site. Love it, love it, love it. So Saul starts, starts leading this movement. And then he wrote... Most of the New Testament, maybe, maybe you don't know this. Maybe you're new to the church world. Saul wrote 13 of the 27 books that make up the New Testament. 13. Now, some might say 14. There's some scholarly debate on that. Let me show you uh, parts of the New Testament that he wrote. Now, you're going to see the, the, the table of contents here. From Acts to Philemon. For those of you who are biblically astute, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Paul didn't write Acts. You're right. Luke wrote Acts, but I decided to highlight it because there are large chunks in the book of Acts, which are the words of Paul. But he wrote basically from Romans to Philemon, and there's been a lot of scholarly ink spilled over whether or not he wrote the book of Hebrews. Some think he did not. Some think he did. You want my opinion? I think he wrote the book of Hebrews. 13 of the 27 books Saul turned Paul wrote. Now, I want to take a little different approach today. And I want to teach you some things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul. Instead of looking at one text and drilling down like we often do, I want us to actually look at the life of Paul. And I want to talk to you about a few things that we can and we really would be wise to learn from the Apostle Paul. And then we're going to wrap up today in prayer for our country and the presidential election. Here's the first thing. Take this, take this down in your notes. The life of Saul teaches us it is possible to be absolutely sincere while being sincerely wrong. Think about it. It is possible to be absolutely sincere while being sincerely wrong. Later in his life, Paul gave his testimony in Acts chapter 22. You can read it later. But he talks about how in his zeal for God, zeal for God, he persecuted Christians. Think about that. He was zealous to honor God in everything that he did. He sincerely taught 
that the right thing to do was to launch a crusade against the followers of Christ. Paul's one and only life reminds us that you can be absolutely sincere while being sincerely wrong. Now, here's why that's important. In our culture today, we have a tendency to think sincerity trumps pretty much everything else. Oh, wait a minute. I just said the word trumps. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seriously, people are freaking out these days. I got to watch everything I say. Some of you are going to think that's a subliminal message. <laughs> Look at me closely. It is not. I don't tell you who to vote for, and I don't try to go subliminal to tell you who to vote for. That is your decision. Pray about it. Seek the heart of the Lord. Run to Scripture, and then you pray. But Saul was sincerely wrong, even though he was absolutely sincere. Is, is the politics not a perfect example of that? Many of you have said to me, I don't understand how people can be so convinced and diametrically opposed to one another. Come on, let's go back to 9-11. Seems like such a long time ago, right? But those 19 hijackers that flew planes into buildings and killed thousands of people on American soil, oh, they were sincere. They were very sincerely religious. But would we not all agree that they were absolutely sincerely wrong? You have to be very, very careful with putting too much weight on sincerity. Here's the second thing you might want to just really zoom in on today. The life of Saul teaches us it is possible to be religious and still miss Jesus. Hello. Come on. There's a lot of religion out there. But if religion doesn't lead you to Jesus, it is a big adventure and an epic mistake in your life. You can be religious and miss Jesus. Christianity is not a religion. Some of you are like, whoa, what are you talking about, Willis? Christianity is not a religion. Religion, listen, you can, you can boil all the religions up. And I talked about this on Easter, right? You go to any other religious leader's tomb and the bones are there. Them bones are there. Them dry bones, there, dead. You go to Jesus' tomb. It's empty. He is not there. He is risen from the dead. Can the people of God say amen? amen. But Christianity is not religion. Religion is every other world. Religion is, is man's attempt to reach God. Follow me here for a moment. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. In other words, re religion is everything about what I do. What I do. Am I good enough? Did I go to Sunday school enough as I was a kid? Did I save my virginity? Do I tithe my income? Am I, it's all about what you do. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God through Christ. And it is not based upon what we do, but rather based upon what he has done. That, that is a big, big difference. And so Saul was very religious. Look at Acts 22. I tell you, you're reading scripture so well today. I'm just going to keep having you do that. Let's go. Ready? Go. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. That's a hard word, but let me explain something real quick. Gamaliel 
was the leading scholar in the first century days. His scholarship would be equivalent today of somewhere like Harvard or Duke or Yale or somewhere like that. I, I, was, I, was, I was really just going to move on. I, I, that, was not a, that was not a dig. It really wasn't. You guys are too funny. There is a game on Thursday night of this week. I'm kidding. I'm, not, I'm kidding. Since you're going there, I, I was not going to go there. But since you're going there, there's a game on Thursday night. Duke versus Carolina in football. By the way, I got to give the Wolfpack some love over there in Garner. NC State is rocking it this year. They're losing some close games, but they're rocking it. There's a game Thursday night, Duke against um, North Carolina. And basically, most people think Carolina should win the game. But what they don't know, (laughs) what they don't know, I'm not making this up, is that I have been invited to speak to Duke football team before the game. Just saying. Just saying. Favor ain't fair. (laughs) Favor ain't fair. Now, I I am not making a prophetic prediction that Duke's going to win because I'm speaking. I'm not doing that. So I don't want thousands of people coming at me next week and saying, you ain't a prophet. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you the facts that I'm speaking to the team. And if Duke wins, you now know why. What? Where in the world was I? You did that. You got me off track. At the feet of Gamaliel, incredible. And I'm not joking about that. The scholarship was second to none. So this is what made Paul, once he was converted, this is what, and everybody started to believe that this is legit. This is what made him so legit. They saw the work of God in him, but they knew that he had been studied and and mentored, if you will, by the one and only scholar by the name of Gamaliel. Let's go. Go. Taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. So Saul is saying, hey, I was religious and I missed Jesus. You have to be careful of religious people. Quote me on that. You have to be careful with zealous religious people people unless their passion is focused on Jesus. Religious people, I'm not even going to deny it up here, scare me. Scare me. Faithful followers of Jesus, I adore. There is a huge, they scared Paul. Maybe they didn't scare him as much as they hacked him off. Paul called them barking dogs. Don't follow his example. Don't go to work today and get in a fight over the, tomorrow and get in a fight over the cubicle because you're calling somebody a barking dog. You're like, what are you talking about? Steer clear of the barking dogs. Everybody say barking dogs. Some reason I just went to Georgia football. Sorry. 
Um, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances, knife happy circumcisers. If you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> Knife happy circumcisers, I call them. This is Saul. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praises as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it. Even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials, you know my pedigree, legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin. I mean, what he's saying is, I was a good old church boy. I followed all the rules. Wow, I feel the Spirit of God leading me to say this right now. Some of you grew up in church. Thank God you did but some of you became religious fanatics where you, all you did was judge people from top to bottom, left to right, and you put your hope in your religion. Religion will not save you. Religion can turn you into a judgmental heretic. I'm not talking to you, nor do I ever talk to you about being religious. I talk to you about being a follower of Jesus, and there is a difference. Some of you need to hear that. A strict and devout adherent of God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book you put Jesus in the front of your life and you pursue him and that is how you be the man the woman that God wants you to be you can be religious and still miss Jesus check it out and make sure you catch this you might want to write it down religion and religious heritage that doesn't lead to Jesus and isn't centered on Jesus is one huge adventure in missing the point. It's all about Jesus. I heard about a guy, heard about, this is what religious people do. Religious people are scary. I heard about a guy who was walking across a bridge one day and he saw a man standing on the edge of the bridge who was about to jump off and commit suicide. So he ran over and he said, stop, 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 don't do it. And the guy goes, why shouldn't I? He said, well, there's so much to live for. The man about to jump said, like what? Well, are you religious? The fellow about to jump said, yes, I'm very religious. The guy said, me too. Are you a Christian or a Buddhist? The guy said, I'm a Christian. The guy said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? The guy said, Protestant. The one trying to save his life said, me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? The guy said, Baptist. He said, me too. The guy said, Baptist Church of God? Yes, me too. He said, are you the original Baptist Church of God? Reformation of 1879. 
or refer, Reformed Baptist of Church of God, Reformation 1915. The fellow about to jump said, I'm Reformed Baptist. Reformation of 1915. To which the other fellow said, well then die, you heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Religion is scary. But a relationship with Jesus saves, forgives, and gives eternal life. Religion, again, I just feel led to camp out on this for a moment. Religion will wear you out. Some of you have tried Christianity as a religion and it's found wanting. It's empty. Trying to be good for good's sake, trying to be good to earn your salvation will wear you out. But living a life of the fruit of the Spirit, living a life out of who you already are in Christ, not about what you do, but about what he has done, is the most life-giving thing this world has to offer. Here's the third and final thing. The life of Saul teaches us when it comes to the reach of God and the potential of people, no one is hopeless. When it comes to the reach of God and potential of people, no one is what, church? No one is hopeless. When Paul became a follower of Christ, no one believed him. They couldn't help but think of this in light of his past. His early years as a believer were tough with some churches because they didn't even want to open the door. Saul turned Paul, would knock on the door, and they'd ask who it was, and he would tell them, it, and they don't open the door. That's the killer of Christians. No one is hopeless. Did you hear me? The person you've given up on is not hopeless. Your son, your daughter, who might be a prodigal in the far country, is not hopeless. Before we busted out the walls here at the Durham campus, we had thousands of names of people that we wanted God to reach. At the campuses, many of them now still have their banners up with names of people that their folks wrote on those canvases. Even though our walls are gone, but their canvases are still up, the names on our walls and the names on those campuses, no one is beyond the reach of God. The life of Saul teaches us that. Your parent, if you're, if you're here and your parent does not know God and your parent is a persecutor, if you will, of you or Christians, no one is beyond the reach of God, which is why one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament, here it is, if you know it and you love it, read it with me, go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here, all this is from who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, let's continue, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Let's continue. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Kind of goes all the way back to the first part of the message where I say, you're an instrument of God. Paul, the persecutor of God that everybody said was hopeless. There's no way that man could be used of God. He's imploring you today. Will you let Saul turned Paul implore you today to be reconciled to God, to be an ambassador for God in the world, not a religious scary fanatic, but a man or a woman who is so passionate and so in love and so faithfully following after the heart and the life of Christ that people take notice of your life. No one is hopeless. Which actually causes me to realize I need to say this. If no one is hopeless, that means if you're here today and you're feeling hopeless, it is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Oh. No, you're not hopeless. There is hope. And that hope is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. And if you know Jesus already, then God's calling you to be a chosen instrument, an ambassador of reconciliation wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go, in your home. Your call is to be an ambassador of reconciliation. Moses, I mean, guys, think about where we've been since Easter. All the heroes of the faith have dark chapters in their lives. Have you ever really noticed this? Moses. Moses was a murderer. Jacob, a liar. David, an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. Peter, a denier of Jesus. Paul, a persecutor of Christians and the church. I could go on and on and on, but God loves to use unlikely candidates. Hello, to bring about his purpose in the world. Here's, I'll put this in my notes. Here's something I, I put. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And nothing is useless when it is carried into a relationship with Jesus. Why don't you read that out loud? I want you to just hear yourself say that. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And nothing is useless when it is carried into a relationship with Jesus. No one is hopeless. And no one that you know and no one that you ever see and no one that you ever lock eyes with is beyond the reach of God, if they will just reach a point where they cry out to receive the gift of grace. Nothing in you is hopeless. One last quote, and it's a good one. Mother Teresa, I'm just a pencil in the hand of God. 
Just a pencil. So are you. And in light of talking about hope and hopelessness, I think it is appropriate today that we pray for our country. I think it is appropriate today that we pray for the presidential election on Tuesday. It's also appropriate, is it not, to give a huge shout out of thanks to the men and women who have served our country since it's Veterans Day weekend. Thank you for laying your life down that we might enjoy freedom. Freedom is not free. There are men and women who've paved the way for that. And may we always show respect for those who serve in the armed forces. I want you to watch this video. It's just another way to honor them. Maybe you're still thinking about the people that I said that you know that are not hopeless. You can pray for them right now. But I want you to watch this video. And then we're going to pray together as a church. And we'll sing one final song. Please try to stay put. Don't head for the door. And then um, we'll let you be on your way on this gorgeous, gorgeous fall day. Check this out. led to ask you to do something at all of our campuses but it's going to be totally optional because some of you hate this kind of stuff be honest with you I'm not crazy about it um, but every now and then I, I like to do this I just feel like it'd be powerful for us right now you don't have to do this and some of you might not have anybody right next to you so you can't do this but if you're comfortable with this why don't you just hold the hand of the person beside you? We're a family, church. We're a family. And we need the Lord's wisdom and the Lord's blessing in our country. We face difficult situation in 2016. But we have faced many difficult times in the past. And on this Veterans Day weekend, I'm calling us to prayer.
Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come today to honor you. We come to acknowledge that you are the only one who can rightly lead and guide the United States of America. You are mighty and you are merciful. And Father God, we need your might and we need your mercy now, maybe more than ever. Father, I pray that this would be the time. Let it be the time for our country to come back to you. Let it be the time for each of us in this nation to personally approach you in all humility, ready to listen to your wisdom, ready to walk in integrity and love toward you and each other. Oh God, I pray that all the hatred and the violence in our country would give way to a new season of godliness, overflowing with an abundance of your love and peace. Father, help us to deeply yearn for a new era of kindness and respect. And Father God, let it start with the church of God. Those are the words of Paul. Let it begin with the house of God. From here, God, we pray for our leaders. Touch them, stir them, draw them towards selflessness and wisdom. Change their focus and their goals so that their actions match up with your will for our country. Father, we pray for all the military men and women. We ask that you would abundantly bless in every way each service man and woman, each veteran and each military family, past and present. Today, we pause to honor them. Remember that our country owes them a huge debt of gratitude. Father, we specifically pray for divine protection for all of our military personnel, both here and around the world. Surround them and deflect harm from them as they daily seek to protect and defend us. God, I pray that you ease their difficulties, that you encourage them each day. Lord, we lift up prayer for our leaders. The Bible tells us to honor, respect, and pray for our leaders. So, Father, we ask for blessings on them. May these servants who are in positions of authority take the responsibility seriously and do their very best each day. May they realize they need you and your direction. May they hear your voice. May they seek you in your word. May they make decisions and may they follow your guidance. May they have passion for people, for truth, for righteousness and integrity. Father God, we pray for our national elections this Tuesday. I pray your people would hear from you. Lastly, Lord, we thank you that our hope is not ultimately in any mere mortal, politician, pundit, person or pastor but our hope is in you and you alone Lord Jesus thank you for invading planet earth with your love your peace 
your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you that even when the disciples knew not what to pray, you said, when you pray, pray like this together as a family. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Praise his name, church. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy. And it only makes sense after a message like that today that we sing glorious ruins and all the bands at all the campuses are going to come out now and I mentioned being hopeless earlier if you're here and you're hopeless and you want somebody to pray with you you go to the next steps room you find your campus pastor and we will pray with you and we would be delighted to usher you into the presence of Jesus we love you at the campuses God bless you guys Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.